0: Everyone, Wow, we got a chatty group today. This is awesome. I actually love that I have to interrupt you guys. This is great. Uh, For those of you that may not know, I'm Jeremy Voris. I'm the youth pastor here at Groton Bible Chapel. And on this second Sunday of Advent, we're going to be talking about the family of Advent. And so when we talk about the family of Advent, first I feel like we have to answer the question, what is family? Now family is one of those weird words that a lot of us know what it is, but when someone says define it for us, we're kind of struggling with how do we categorize this large concept which is family. Depending on your life situation, depending on your background, depending on your current life status, family could mean very different things to many of us. An unknown author once said, family is family. Whether it's the one you start out with, the one you end up with, or the family you gain along the way. But I feel like all of us can have this centralized kind of idea of what family is, and that is through TV shows. TV shows have a great demonstration throughout the years of family for us. And so I thought I would go down memory lane for all of us and recall some of these family Like the Ingalls, Little House on the Prairie, brings us way back. I will be honest, I was not alive during this time, but my mom made me watch many, many reruns of this show. Maybe you were a little more on the edge. Maybe you were a little more of a troublemaker, and you were more of an Adams Family type person. Or maybe you were a little later in life when we finally had real colorized TV and the Brady Bunch was your concept of family. Of a lovely lady. I'll be honest, I was not alive for any of those TV shows, but I think in the late 80s, early 90s is really where television picked up on this idea of family. We had shows like Growing Pains that the Seavers demonstrated, which, by the way, that is... Leonardo DiCaprio, there in his early, early days. Or maybe you're more of a family matters type household and you grew up with Steve Urkel. Or earlier, as I was preparing for my talk, our worship pastor, Johnny Yees, and I were reminiscing about one of our favorite shows, Boy Meets World, and the Matthews family. Now some of you are looking at these TV shows and you're thinking to yourself, what happened to this good, wholesome families? These ideas that were so instrumental in our lives that we don't have TV shows like this anymore that really have this good demonstration of families and I'm telling you that you have not found the beauty of Bluey yet. (laughs) I love that there are some kids in the room that just got really, he's talking about Bluey, mom. He's talking about Bluey. So what is family? And what does family mean to us? Like I said, for each one of us, we will answer that question very differently. But as much as family means something to us, it also meant something very different but similar to people back in Jesus' time. And I think there are three big things that both us today and people back then can really say family was to them. And the first of which is identity. That we find our identity in family. Last week, Gary Campbell, our lead pastor, walked through the genealogy of Christ that Matthew's Gospel starts out with the family of Jesus, going back all through the generations to point. Jesus' line to King David to Abraham and all of these huge biblical characters. But us today, we still find so much of our identity in our family. This picture here is of four generations of Vorse men. My great my grandfather's name was Glenn Vorse. My father's name is Jeffrey Glenn Vorse. My name is Jeremiah Glenn Vorse. And my oldest son's name is Is Jackson Glenn Vorse. That there is a sense of identity that I find in my family. This really came to me when I was 18 years old and I went to go vote for the first time. That awkwardness of going to vote for the first time. You don't really know what you're doing or how to do it. And so I approached the table of this older woman that was sitting behind the register's table and I handed her my ID and she looked at the name and then looked up at me in a very confused look and she said, are you the banker's kid? And I paused for a second and I said, well, my name is Vorce, as it clearly states on my license here. But then it dawned on me, my grandfather had spent many years as a banker. And so I told her, well, my grandfather worked as a banker. And to much to her shock, she was like, grandfather? Does that mean you're little Jeffrey's son? My dad did not go by little Jeffrey for a long, long time. See, for this woman, the name and the face showed who that identity was. Here at this church, my family has also played a big role. For those of you who don't know, I've been here now eight and a half years, but in the interview process, it came to many people's knowledge that my grandparents are Bill and Ruth Campbell, who had spent many, many years at this church. My great-grandparents came here back in the early 60s. My grandparents, pretty much lived here their entire life. My mom grew up with GBC being her home church. My parents actually got married in what is now our youth room, and it looks very different today than it did back then. And for some people that are currently sitting in this room, when they found out Bill and Ruth are my grandparents, they said, why are we still in this interview process? You need to be hired on the spot. Because family is tied with identity. The other thing that family brings is protection. Now, I'm not super cool and have like a mafia background or anything like that that I have to tell you, don't mess with me because my family, you know my family, they, they don't deal with that, but... Growing up in a church that my parents were heavily involved, it was like I had several spies for my parents that constantly were overlooking my life and would use the phrase, does your mom know that you're doing this? (laughs) Provided a protection for me because people knew who my family was. The last thing that family means is a future and a hope that we see in stories like Ruth and Hannah in the Bible, that so much of family is tied to a future and a hope. And the same is true with us today. So what does this mean as we talk about the family of Jesus? Well, as we're gonna talk about later, you are part of the family of Jesus. Today, we're going to give you an invitation to be a part of this family. And what I'm talking about is that this is not about a religion. That being a part of a family isn't just a class that you belong to, but it is a relationship that you have. See, Jesus doesn't just want us to come here on Sunday mornings and sing a few songs and read scripture, but He wants us to have a relationship with Him. And so, being a part. Of Jesus' family is not just about looking apart or saying a right phrase or putting on a smile, but it's about being in a relationship with Him. So, we're going to look at the first invitations Jesus gives to be a part of His family. And the two main characters of this are Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents. And as we read through this scripture, I'm actually going to use a translation that many of you probably are not familiar with. It is called The Voice. And The Voice is not written as a word for word looking through the Greek and seeing what best translates, but instead The Voice was written almost like a screenplay of the Bible. And what I love about this this translation is not so much to study from it, but to read narratives like this. Because like many of you, I've grown up hearing the Christmas story for 34 years. I know it inside and out. I could recite some of these verses to you. But then it just becomes a story. What I like about the voice is this reminds me that these were real people that had real lives, real situations, and real encounters with God. That changed everything. So let's read. We're gonna look, the first one is in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Six months later in Nazareth, a city of rural providence of Galilee, the heavenly messenger Gabriel made another appearance. This messenger, this time the messenger was sent by God to meet with a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David himself. The messenger entered her home. Greetings, you who are favored. And the Lord is with you. Among all women on earth, you have been blessed. The heavenly messenger's words baffled Mary, and she wondered what type of greeting this was. Mary, do not Be afraid. You have found favor with God. Listen, you are going to become pregnant. You will have a son. You must name him Savior or Jesus. Jesus will become the greatest among men. And he will be known as the son of the most high God. God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. And he will reign over the covenant family of Jacob forever. Mary says, but I have not been with a man. How can this be possible? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Most High will overshadow you. That is why this holy child to be born will be known not as your son, but also the Son of God. It sounds impossible, but listen. You know your relative Elizabeth has been unable to bear children and is now far too old to be a mother, yet she has become pregnant as God willed it. Yes, in three months she will have a son. So the impossible is possible with God. Mary deciding in her heart, here I am, Lord, as you have said let it be done to me. Joseph's reaction is actually very different than Mary's. We pick up in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18. So here finally is the story of the birth of Jesus, the anointed. Now remember, the first 18 verses of Matthew is the genealogy, the 14 generations between Abraham and David, the 14 generations between David and the exile, the 14 generations after the exile. So by the time Matthew gets to this point, he says, so here we are, the point of the story. It is quite a remarkable story. Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, son of David. They hadn't married, and yet, sometime well before their wedding date, Mary learned that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, because he was kind and upstanding and honorable, didn't want to wish, didn't want to, uh, wanted to spare Mary shame. He did not wish to cause her more embarrassment. Than necessary, This is remarkable because Mary had never had sex. She and Joseph had not even spent very much time alone. But they are pledged to each other. And their wedding feast has been planned. She has never even kissed a man. She is a virgin. Yet she is pregnant. Miraculous. On the other hand... Joseph suspects that Mary has cheated on him and has had sex with another man. He knows he will have to break their engagement, but he decides to do so quietly. Mary understands that this is God in the person of the Holy Spirit who has made her pregnant. Now, Joseph, when Joseph had decided to act on his intentions a messenger of the Lord came to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to wed Mary and bring her into your home and your family as your wife. She did not sneak off and sleep with someone else. Rather, she has conceived the baby she now carries through the miraculous wonder working of the Holy Spirit. She will have a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because this Jesus is the person who will save all of his people from sin. Joseph woke up from his dream and did exactly what the messenger told him to do. He married Mary, brought her into his home as his wife, though he did not consummate their marriage until her son was born when the son was born, he named him Jesus, Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, as you came and invited Mary and Joseph into your family, Lord, you are giving that same invitation to us today. Not based on who we are, not based on what we can do, not based on our situation, but Lord, because of your great love for us. You left your seat in heaven to come down as a baby. To live on this earth and ultimately die in our place for a payment that we could not pay so that we could have this relationship with you. I pray this in your name, amen. So I wanna look one at a time through these first invitations. The first person I wanna look at is Mary. Like I said, this is a story that we've heard many, many of times before. But I want to really clue you in on Mary's reaction to the angel's invitation to be a part of Jesus' family. The angel comes to her and says, you will have a child. It will be Jesus. He will be the savior of the world. And instead of Mary being like, this is the greatest news ever, her first reaction is, this can't be. I know what it would take for me to do this. And I don't have what it takes to be a part of this. I know my shortcomings. I know where I don't belong. And this invitation, I can't do it because I don't measure up to this standard. I've heard many people say very similar things to me about the invitation to follow Christ. I know what Christ wants. I know that he desires his relationship with me, but I'm way back here and he's calling me to a relationship which is way over there. I need to get my life in order before I come to a relationship with Jesus. And what Mary's response had is the same as ours God will do the work. See, you don't have to get your life right in order to come before Jesus. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to be living the life that he's calling you to, yet what you have to do is say, here I am. Let it be done just as you have said. Joseph's response is actually very different, as we said. Sinclair Ferguson, who wrote Dawn of Redeeming Grace, which we're going through as a church, as a devotional leading up to Advent, does an amazing job of talking through the perspective of Joseph. And something I didn't catch on to until just a few months ago was in Mary's invitation, the angel says, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy. Joseph He says, don't be afraid, not just because an angelic being is talking to him, but don't be afraid to do what God has called you to do. Some of us have a very similar reaction of Joseph of this is not what I expected. I've earned things in my life. I deserve certain things. I I don't want to be under God's authority. I want to live the way I want to live because I've deserved it. I've earned it. And the the thought of giving that up to be in a relationship with God, it seems too much for me to handle. God's response to Joseph is the Lord will provide And strengthen. See, it's not about your will, but it's about His. But those aren't the only invitations that Jesus gave to be a part of His family. The other people that Jesus invited into His family are His followers. Not just 2,000 years ago, but us still today. We read this in Matthew chapter 12. Starting at verse 46. While he was still speaking with the crowd, his mother and brothers were standing outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and brother are standing outside wanting to speak to you. See, what had happened is they were in a, large, in a very small space, but it was very crowded. And so they were thinking to themselves, people should know who we are. We should be able to get in. If someone just knows and can tell Jesus that we're outside waiting, he'll let us in. Now, as I see several small children in the room, I want to give a disclaimer real quick. You cannot talk to your parents this next part the way that Jesus does. There are certain things that Jesus can get away with that we cannot. If you speak to your parents how Jesus is about to speak, it will not go well for you. You will not enjoy a long life on earth. (laughs) Here's Jesus' response. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here is my mother and my brother's. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. We are invited into Jesus' family. Some of you are wondering today what what does it even mean to be a part of Jesus' family? What is this invitation you speak of? That I can be a part of Jesus' family. See, the fact is that God so loved you, not because of what family you belong to, not because of what you did in your past, not because of what you could do in your future, but he looked at you and he just loved you because he loved you. So much that he left heaven to spend nine months in a virgin's womb to be born in a stable, to be put in a feeding trough, to live for 33 years on this earth, to know what it was like to go hungry, to know what it was like to be hunted down, know what it was like to be rejected, to have ones that he loved betray him, to be hurt, to be beaten, and ultimately to die. Because he loved you so much. And he wanted this relationship with you so badly that he said, I'm willing to give everything to be in this relationship with you. God invites you to his family and what you have to do is say, yes, Lord. I want to be a part of that family. I might not have everything right I might not have my life together. I might not know what tomorrow holds, but Lord, as long as you're in it, I want it. That's the family that Jesus is calling us to. So what does it mean for us to be invited to the family? Well, it means you get to take funny photos and send them to Pastor Zach Stevens for a contest that we're having. This is part of our holiday photo contest. This was last year. So if you have a small group, if you have a family, if you just have a group of friends that you're like, we can come up with a funny photo, send them to Pastor Zach before the 21st and you could win a prize. But in all seriousness, what does this mean to be a part of his family? It means you belong. It means you belong here. It doesn't matter if today's your first day here. Maybe you had driven by this church several times. Maybe you're new to this area. Maybe you made tons of mistakes last night and you said, I have to make things right. And so I'm just going to go to a church and I just need to be there. You belong today. Or maybe you're like one of our older members, Bob Campbell who's been coming to this church since before the 60s. He's actually the one who found this property that we're standing on for the church to purchase. He's currently watching in his house just a few houses down. Bob Campbell belongs here to this family. And everyone in between, you belong in this family. But as much as what this means to be a part of his family, it also changes something. When you're in any kind of relationship, it changes who you are. In the Bible, in the New Testament especially, it talks about this word hospitality. The word hospitality in Greek is phileosina, which means love of strangers. It means that we are called to love people that maybe we don't know currently. John Mark Comer says, hospitality is expressing the welcome of God the Father to all those through the tangible acts of love, namely giving food, shelter, And relationship. An author, Rosaria Butterfield, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, says in one of her books hospitality turns strangers into neighbors and neighbors into family. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 and 19 says, for though through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers or foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's family. Again, whether today is your first time here, you've been here your entire life, we're inviting you to be a part of the family. As much as this changes things, it also comes at a cost. What does it cost to be a part of the family of God? As we said earlier, means being willing to be a part of this family. That you are no longer just your own. As it says in 1 Corinthians Chapter 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. You are not your own for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. What Paul is reminding us here is that like I said earlier, Jesus Christ loved you so much that he saw the debt you owed by sinning, the the decisions that you have made that were against God that created the separation between you and him and he couldn't stand it so he said, I will intervene, I will step in, I will come down in your place and pay the punishment that you could never pay so that we could be in this relationship together. So glorify God with your body. Imagine if you were, we were to take body out of that sentence and change it with glorify God with your time. Glorify God with your attention. Glorify God with your relationships. Glorify God with your home. As I said earlier, Rosaria Butterfield wrote a book, and in it, she has this phrase, radically ordinary hospitality. I love that phrase, radically ordinary hospitality, because in our culture today, hospitality is kind of a radical thing. Many people don't think of opening their doors to strangers for fear but as we look throughout Scripture, this is something that God is actually calling us to. Rosaria writes in her book, radically ordinary hospitality categorizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table, but truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as their own, but as a gift of God to use in the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. That's the title of her book, The Gospel comes with a house key. If we are called to be a part of the family of God, each of us get a key to the house. So today, I have a key. This is not my house key, but it's just a blank key. And I'm actually going to give each one of you a key. Under the front of your seat. There's a little shelf that we used to put the Bibles on in the hymn books. There is a key under every other seat right now. And this key, you can get it right now. Uh, this key is to remind you that the gospel comes with a house key. That if you are a part of our church family, if you are a part of the family of God, it comes with a key. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, Why am I giving you a key? Some of you are looking at it and like, oh, I could make another copy of our house or oh, I have to go out later. No, I want you to keep this key blank as a reminder for you, especially in this Advent season. Are you viewing what God has gifted you as his or yours? Are you viewing your house as, as a way to further his kingdom or is it something you're entitled to? Imagine if after this service, instead of just going home throughout our busy lives, you stopped and said to a stranger, what are you doing for lunch? Some of you are looking at me and you're like, Jeremy, you know my house, it is chaos. We have too many kids and not enough space. Having people over, it's just a lot of work. What I'm not inviting you to is host people because when you host people to your house, you clean up. You grab out the nice silverware. You make sure all the plates are actually matching each other. What I'm inviting you to is inviting people to your family. My dad has a house rule. When you come to his house, you're a guest one time. After that, you're family. And family doesn't knock. When you're family, you just come right in. You embrace the chaos, you join the mess. Some of you are looking at me, though, and you're thinking to yourself, Jeremy, this is actually the only house key I have. Maybe you rent, maybe you're living with mom and dad or you're in a housing situation that you're like, I can't host. The fact is we have people in our church that are truly homeless, that this is the only key in their possessions. This key is a reminder for you. You have a church family who's opening their doors to you. So if you can't host, you gotta be a little more brave and just go up to someone and say, so what time is dinner and what can I bring? Because <laughs> that's what family does. We do life together. Jason Whitmill Early says, opening the household table on a regular basis creates an undercurrent of the Christian life that mimics the adoption ethic. Imagine if we weren't just a place that we came on Sunday mornings to sing together, but we were a church family who showed each other that we love and care for each other the way that God loves and cares for us. If you want to be a part of the family today, maybe you came here and you don't feel like you're a part of the family yet, I would invite you to come talk to myself, talk to one of the other pastors. Because God has given you that invitation today to be a part of his family. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Lord, I thank you that you give us this invitation. I thank you that you are God who loved me too much to bear the idea of eternity away. That you loved each person in this room, whether today is their first day here or it's Bob Campbell watching online, that we can be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Lord, I pray for the people that you have blessed that will open up their houses to others so more might know the love that you have for them. Lord, I pray for those that are in seasons of pain and struggle, especially during this Christmas season. Whether they've gone through loss, or they're away from their family, or they're in a hardship, that they are reminded today that they are a part of a family so much bigger, who loves and cares for them. So, Lord, help us to be your family. Praise in your name. Amen.